May the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the communion of the Holy Ghost, and the fellowship of saints abide with us now and forever. Amen. Again, this morning, I'd like to take the opportunity to convey greetings to all of you. Many are here that were not here the other night. From those that we have had opportunity to gather with in Los Angeles and in Phoenix, and also that we had opportunity to visit in Portland, Oregon just a month ago when they heard of our coming. They all desired to send their greetings. Likewise, I had opportunity to speak with Brother Ken Hannanen in Detroit, as we had a layover in Detroit, and he desired to send his loving greetings to all of you here also. So be greeted of the children of God from those areas that have sent them as being a mutual greeting from the Heavenly Father, for we are his children by faith, we all have the like journey. We are all keepers of one another's souls. No man can stand of himself, but we are purchased with a price. The righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ has redeemed us, and we stand in this likeness. For this morning's word we will turn as is designated by the church calendar as being the epistle text for this day. It is found recorded in the second chapter of Paul's letter unto the Philippians and we will read from the fifth verse through the eleventh in Jesus' name. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. As I stand before you, it seems as though it is an impossible mission to speak God's word. It seems as though I cannot come to that place to see what is in the heart of every individual. 
It is beyond me to reason what everyone's need is. The only thing I can do is turn to myself. And in so doing, I examine my own heart and realize that God who has called us into his marvelous light has called all his own in the same fashion. We all have the warfare of faith. There is no way that I would desire, or is it even possible, to make judgments of any other man pertaining to their faith. It has been, not been given unto us to do so. But God has given unto us this word that is before us, that if we believe in this word, we speak this word according to his will, the word assures us that our every need will be fulfilled. I think back to that portion that was in the very beginning when God created man. And the word tells us that God said, let us make man in our own image and likeness. What is the image of God? What was God saying when he created man thus? In his image and likeness. We know that our visible portion is not as God because the word teaches us that no man at any time has seen God. And he who worships God must worship him in spirit and in truth for God is a spirit. We have a body, so we know we are not as God, and yet the Word teaches us that we are created in His very image. So then, what is the image of God? The image of God is eternal. How are we eternal? Because God, the Word tells us, breathed into the nostrils of man and made him a living soul. This soul portion now is the image of God because the, man, the soul of man is eternal. We know that men many times try to destroy this eternal image. Men in their foolishness have thought that if they would have their bodies cremated when they die and sprinkled upon the mountain tops or upon the ocean, they would never again have to stand before God. We know according to God's word, this is not so. 
We have been created with a soul that has to answer to God on Judgment Day. The destiny of that soul depends wholly and completely on his likeness. For the likeness of the Lord of God is the Lord Jesus Christ, God's righteous Son. The Word teaches us that God is holy and we must be holy. But we see that this portion of us that is visible one to the other is so corrupt. There is no holiness in this flesh. It is contrary to God. It is contrary to the will of God. But remember, God so cared for his creation that he made us in his likeness. How do we maintain that likeness? How do we remain in that likeness? God did not leave our destiny to chance, but he placed within this visible being something that we cannot see one of the other that becomes as a governor in a gauge. It is the conscience of man. And we know that the conscience of man is only as good as the caring and the keeping of it. Now we come to the place of that perfect likeness, the Lord Jesus Christ. That if we remain in his righteousness, in his holiness, obedient unto his word and his calling, the conscience remains alive and well. For when this flesh errs, that likeness becomes unrestful within us, begins to counsel with us of our errors. And when it counsels, it never condemns. But it comes with a calling in the likeness of God, with mercy and grace. This is the season that we are celebrating, is it not? Of the love of God that was shed abroad unto all hearts, without reservation, that of his Son, that he sent into the world to, end, to suffer and die, that we might fully and freely come and lay hold of his righteousness here in his kingdom, the kingdom that he established, not only by his suffering and death for our sins, but by his victorious resurrection to overcome the penalty of our sins, which is eternal damnation, 
to give unto us the hope of eternal life. For he has hallowed the grave. Never before has man come forth from the dead in the manner which the Lord did. The Apostle Paul in this epistle to the Philippians says something that is so strange to our mind and our heart and yet we can see why he says this. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Why does Paul say this? He rejoices in the fact that Christ is preached, even though some preach in contention, some even to add unto his affliction and wrongs. When our natural being would be we have to stop the voice of anyone that speaks contrary to the truth pertaining to the Lord Jesus Christ. But what does Paul see in this? He is not favoring the contentious preaching. He is not favoring that which is contrary to truth. But he is recognizing the fact that since Christ has come, and he has experienced the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness. He rejoices that his salvation has been brought to him. Even though others preach contrary to the truth, nonetheless, this is evidence that Christ has come. That he has come to redeem us. If Christ had not come, there would be no preaching of that which he accomplished for us. The promise had to be fulfilled, and this is what the Apostle Paul rejoices in, that the promise of the seed was fulfilled, and victory has been purchased for him. He sees the kingdom that the Lord established by his work here on the earth. He wants to remind us of that. And he begins this way, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Now again, if we read this, we can read this to our flesh, and we can begin to say, 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and say that this is what Paul is telling us, that we can elevate this flesh, that we can purify this flesh and make it holy. That isn't what Paul is saying. This is not the mind he wants to have within us. The mind he wants to have within us is this, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Paul experienced what it was to be humbled at the hand of the Lord. Paul the Pharisee, as Saul, he walked such a righteous life as a Pharisee, fulfilling all the demands of that which he recognized to be God's word. But he was in error. He was walking to the satisfaction of his flesh, which made him proud rather than humble. And he experienced that the only humbling there was within him was when the Lord came upon him to open his eyes to see his own condition. And now Paul is saying, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, that he humbled himself. He came to serve, not to be served. If we of our flesh think we can offer something unto God, we are not allowing the Lord Jesus Christ to serve us, but we are trying to do some service unto him. And remember that this is always done in the name of righteousness when man tries to do a work unto God comes in the name of God. But when the humbleness of the Lord Jesus Christ does not intercede for us, God rejects it. Think back of King Saul. Remember that when the Israelites demanded of Samuel to have a king, Samuel was saddened by this, but God told Samuel, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. Nevertheless, he allowed them to have a king. And remember the nature of the kingship at that time. The choosing was of the people of Israel. They selected Saul because of his stature. Tells us that he was head above everybody else. He was a big man. He was a good-looking man. The children of Israel were proud to have him as a king. And we remember that God said that he was pleased with Saul. And the word tells us that God gave Saul a new heart. And he put his spirit into Saul. 
that he might lead the children of Israel. Remember what happened when Saul and his army became surrounded by the enemy. And Samuel had said that after seven days he will come there to offer the offering of oblation before God. And the seven days passed and Samuel for some reason had delayed his coming. And Saul was fearful because the enemy was around him. Saul's army was in great fear. They hid in the caves. And the word tells us that because of fear, King Saul offered the offering of oblation unto God. No sooner had he made this offering and Samuel appeared. And as it was in the days of old, that the prophets seemed to be all-knowing. No sooner had he come where Saul was, and he said, What have you done? King Saul was very forthright. He said, Because I feared, and the people were afraid, and because you delayed your coming, I forced myself and made the offering of oblation unto God. Samuel rebuked him for this. This was the transgression that became the downfall of King Saul. Why? It was an offering unto God, was it not? recognition of what God had promised unto the children of Israel. But Saul did not heed the complete word of God, for God said that offering was only to be offered by the prophet or as later by the priest. It was not even to be handled by a king. Saul took this upon himself because he thought he was doing a service unto God, offering the oblation which represents the Lord Jesus Christ. How did Saul offer this then? It would be in the manner in which Paul writes here. Could be for contention rather than in humility because he thought that he was in the place of such importance that he had this right to take upon himself and that right becomes the right of judgment of the flesh a right that the Lord never took upon himself he never came into the world to judge man. He came in the world to provide redemption full and free without a price. 
we cannot offer anything unto God worthy of acceptance outside of the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Immediately my mind goes back to that place where the Lord was gathered with his own tells us he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded then cometh he to Simon Peter and Peter saith unto him Lord Dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and head also. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but he is clean every whit. And clean, and ye are clean, but not all. And he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. Here the Lord took upon himself the place of a servant to wash his disciples' feet, to humble himself before them. Likewise, the Lord told his disciples as they were gathered together at that same occasion, and the word tells us that there was also a stripe among them, among his disciples, which of them should be counted greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. Whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat. But I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptation. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now the Lord makes known unto them 
the manner in which they receive of the kingdom, of allowing themselves to be served, allowing the Lord Jesus Christ to be their servant. How do we do this? If we allow God's word to humble us, that we would recognize our own condition of heart, that without the Lord we can do nothing. Without his righteousness we are lost. Does it not cause us to begin to seek that how do we lay hold of this righteousness that the Father desires for us to have? Again, maybe I have to turn to this being here before you. Not as anything other than an example of what God had to do to humble the pride that is in this flesh. I was brought up to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and early I experienced what it was to commit sin or just to be disobedient which to children we understand is very common but the conscience within seemed to work at an early age and many times when I would go to bed at night I would be unrestful and I would not be satisfied until I would hear from my mother that my sin was forgiven in Jesus' name and blood. Then I could rest. But as we know how this flesh is, that it begins to reason and to war. As I grew older, I began to resist that spirit of correction. And I had to experience what happens to man when he resists it. God pleads with us for a great length of time but when we become so proud in our own flesh that we harden our hearts toward him he allows us to go our own way God allowed me to wander into the world but it seemed like he never ceased to call me in all those wanderings even though the sins became greater and greater, the conscience convicted more and more, and yet it seemed it was so pleasurable to walk in the ways of the world. But how often in that pleasure the conscience spoke to me that what if you should die? In those times, I would turn to God's word to find comfort. It seemed like in that word there was so much comfort. Not to the place that I was free of my guilty conscience, but I felt close that God was there in his word and yet calling me. And I seemed to become satisfied in that. 
But as time went on, the conditions of soul got so bad that I used to even talk about salvation unto those that were with me in the world. And you be surprised how many understandings there are in the world pertaining to the word. I found many. There were even those understandings that when I would express how I felt pertaining to sin and how it would cause me to pray unto God for mercy and how I would sometimes find comfort in his word but not to the peace of a good conscience. The counsel I received more than anything else was that, well, you are already a Christian if you pray like that. If you have that kind of desire for God's word, you are already a Christian. And I said, no, how am I walking this way then in the sins of the world? Well, they don't count. This was the counsel. I had to answer, they do count because they are here within my conscience convicting me that if I die this day, my reward is eternal damnation. Then the devil came to me and said, well, you have to even clean up your life before you could ever come to repentance. What a job he did. He caused a lot of the sins to fall away. He even took the desire away from me for many sins. But he could never remove that guilt that was upon my conscience. But he said I had to make myself better before I could even receive the grace of God. What a turmoil. Finally, it came to the place that I tried so hard to improve myself that all of a sudden it seemed as though God ceased to call me. Why? God cannot help someone that is trying to help themselves. This is the state I was in. Trying to better my outward being to present to people that then maybe God would call me. The better I became on the outside, the farther away it seemed God's calling was from me. Until it got to the place that now it was very evident that God was not even calling me anymore. He was going to leave me to that self-improvement program. What a state of mind that leaves a person in. Things that are experienced over a troubled conscience we could not even begin to explain one to the other. But it caused me to become a beggar of God's grace. My mind was so disarranged it seemed as though I was going to lose my mental capabilities altogether. And then all of a sudden it came to me why don't you read God's word like you have read at times and found comfort? I went quickly in my bedroom where I kept my little New Testament on the headboard 
I went to get it. But there was no New Testament on the headboard. The entire headboard was clean, and I had many books and different things there. There was nothing. It was bare. What anguish of soul. That last comfort that I received from reading God's word was gone. Now I knew that God had ceased to call me. I fell by my bed on my knees in prayer to God. The prayer was no more that of self-improvement no more with the reservations I had prayed before that God I would want to be a Christian but I would also like to do this or that now the prayer was God call me one more time and give me the strength to repent I have no strength of my own but call me one more time I knew very little scripture, but I experienced that what the prodigal son experienced, the kiss of the Heavenly Father. I was yet a great way off, but now that I saw my need, God honored the prayer, gave unto me the assurance that he was calling me yet and that I would receive the power to come unto repentance. This was an assurance that was given to me. I knew I was not believing yet. I knew I was yet a way off from this kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I had the assurance that I would be granted the power. I arose there, I don't know how long I was there. But I arose and I looked there upon my headboard was my New Testament. It was as though God had restored his word unto me. And now I could become partaker of his word. And I also remember when my mother came then after I called my parents and told them that I didn't anymore want to follow the ways of the world. But I desired to be a Christian. And they advised me to go there where there were believers that they surely could assure me of the forgiveness of my sins through the name and blood of Jesus Christ. But it was a distance of about 25 miles. I had to tell him I didn't dare. I said, I'm afraid that the devil will destroy me before I get there. Even though I had felt that God was going to give unto me the power of repentance, I was afraid of what the devil could do to me. Even though it was a great distance, 
My mother came there where I was. I picked her up from the bus depot. We went to the house. She took her belongings into the bedroom and she came out from the bedroom and she had a book. To this day, I don't know what that book was. But she said, I brought you this book to read. It might help you. Now was the proof of that which God assured me of when I felt his kiss. I said, I don't need to read anything. All I have to hear is that my sins are forgiven. I will never forget that when she blessed me with the forgiveness of sins, I was ready to die. I was ready to die, but not to live. I could have faced the eternal God at that moment. Physically, there was nothing that changed. I had walked into that house five minutes before that. Five minutes after I received the blessing, I walked out of that house. Visibly, there was nothing different. But within, I had the peace of a good conscience. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Allow this flesh to be humbled by the word of God. All accusation is taken away. If we have received of the grace of God and been freed of all accusation, and we know where accusation comes from, then what is it that we preach? Not the Lord Jesus Christ in contention or affliction unto anyone, but we preach the Lord Jesus Christ as the Redeemer of our soul, full of grace and truth.
grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied unto us through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have some greetings that were sent uh, out this way to this part of the country from some of the children of God that I had occasion to visit with, especially at the Thanksgiving services at uh, Kelso, Washington, and uh, I suppose I would forget someone if I would try to name them all, so just be greeted from, from the children of God over there, as they have sent their readings. I have been uh, somehow led to a portion of God's Word that's recorded in the fourth chapter of the Gospel according to St. John. It is quite a lengthy portion of uh, the Word, but uh, it seems that it's quite difficult to shorten the text. And uh, if God would grant to us the enlightenment of of his Holy Spirit this morning so that we could understand his word, that he would give utterance, and that he would allow me the grace to be able to rightly divide the word of truth then I do believe that it would benefit us all here gathered this morning and it would redound to the glory of him who alone is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. himself baptized not but his disciples he left Judea and departed again into Galilee and he must needs go through Samaria then cometh he to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph now Jacob's well was there Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well and it was about the sixth hour there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water Jesus said unto her give me to drink for his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat then 
the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come either to draw. Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Amen. It says that there was some some controversy here regarding the baptism that had taken place where John had had baptized some disciples. Oftentimes we wonder that why are some things recorded in the Bible? 
There comes a time, undoubtedly, when we can see the need for it. We cannot always understand. There are a lot of things that we cannot understand that we read from the Bible. But if it is needful for us, God opens these things to us by his Holy Spirit. That is the one thing about the Word of God, that it is not something that you can study and learn and learn at all. It is something that God has to reveal. No amount of human effort, although I'm not saying that it isn't a good thing to study the Word of God. I, I, should, uh, I would uh, recommend that everyone be familiar with the Word of God. God gives understanding, that's the thing. He opens the Word according to our needs. If we seek for His guidance, Jesus has given us the promise uh, that uh, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free now we have this verse here at the beginning of this chapter recorded and it seems that it probably doesn't have much connection to what we read about afterwards but nevertheless it is recorded and we heard that the words that uh, tell us that when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. It seemed that they were kind of looking after things that how things are shaping up here. We have John the Baptist. He uh, apparently is a great uh, he, he is a great uh, leader or uh, supposedly a man of God and he has been preaching and he has uh, drawn uh, quite a number of disciples after him and uh, it looks like uh, Jesus has been doing much the same they had heard some of these things then and uh, it seems that there was a rumor going round about that uh, was accepted as being pretty much the gospel truth. They had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. We have to remember that when Jesus was here in this world, he was in all appearance, he was as another man. He came here into this world, took upon himself the form of one of us. And no one could tell the difference. There were very, very few people that actually even believed or recognized him as being the Son of God. That he was now the Christ, the promised Messiah of the Bible that he is now the fulfillment of the promise that was given from the Garden of Eden where God revealed to mankind his plan of salvation in that very short gospel message that was proclaimed that the seed of the woman would come and bruise the head of the serpent. Now Jesus came according to God's plan he took upon himself 
the form of one of us. And he was just recognized by the human mind, the carnal man, as just another man. And they seemed to know just about uh, uh, what he was, that he was the carpenter's son from Nazareth, and, and that is all. He was just another man. And now this uh, Jesus and this John the Baptist, they were going about, they were preaching. And uh, the Pharisees, they hadn't paid all that much, or they hadn't bothered apparently really to look into the matter to be sure they knew what they were talking about. But they had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. It seemed that some to them that somehow Jesus was a little ahead here in this competition. And uh, but the fact was that these Pharisees, the rumor that they had uh, begun to believe themselves, in which they spread all through the country, uh, there was no foundation to it at all. And yet it was accepted as being a uh, fact amongst themselves. Because the correction is made here in the second verse. Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. Jesus didn't baptize anyone with water baptism. Jesus, uh, uh, or John the Baptist foretold of this. John the Baptist baptized with water baptism unto repentance. But he said that I indeed baptize you unto repentance. But there cometh one after me, whose shoe latches I am not worthy to unloose. He will baptize you with water, uh, with uh, fire, and with the Holy Ghost. That is the baptism that Jesus baptizes with. The sacrament of water baptism is an outward seal of the of a covenant. God has always had a covenant with his people, and he, or a seal to his covenant, when he has made a covenant with mankind. We are familiar with the covenant uh, that he made with Noah. It is still visible. It is a visible sign, yet as we see the rainbow. And uh, in the old dispensation, Abraham who believed in God made a covenant with Abraham, he gave the outward token of circumcision to seal that. Now, in this New Testament time, uh, we have the water baptism. But uh, these things were written here for a reason uh, that we can see how, how uh, human beings are. Uh, that uh, there are some things that oftentimes become uh, uh, as if they were absolute facts where there is absolutely no, no truth to them at all. And yet they go around about the country. But uh, the, the significant thing really here apparently is that Jesus was not recognized by anyone except those to whom the Heavenly Father revealed him. He was just another man. 
it's an interesting thing to note how those who were able to see in the natural sense they, they had good eyesight and undoubtedly they were quite alert in their in their minds too oftentimes it shows in the scriptures where they were the blindest spiritually we can take the case of the beggar by the roadside when Jesus was going for the last time into Jerusalem where he gave himself to be be the eternal atonement for the sins of the whole world there was a certain blind man by the roadside who heard this commotion that there was someone passing by and uh, undoubtedly he had heard he had heard of Jesus and he had heard the word which was the Old Testament word at that time there was no New Testament in the Bible at that time but nevertheless the promise of God it was recorded in the Old Testament which had been read in the synagogues uh, every Sabbath wherever he had heard this word there he had laid hold of the promise of that word that there is a Savior that God has promised that he will, he will send into the world. And because he believed this word of promise, God had opened to him, he had, God had opened his ears that he could hear, and his eyes, although they were blind, he had the spiritual eyes of. And he had been hoping undoubtedly and waiting uh, for the fulfillment of that promise uh, that he could meet his Savior. He heard this commotion that there was someone passing by, so he inquired, he asked that what is it or who is it? The disciples told him that it's Jesus of Nazareth. Immediately he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. It's an amazing thing that he didn't cry out that Jesus of Nazareth have mercy on me. He immediately recognized it was given to him. He had the spiritual eyes of, and he had the revelation of the Spirit of God that now this is the promise of the Bible. Now he is passing by. Now is the opportune time. Now is the time to ask. Seek and you shall find. And he cried out, uh, Jesus, thou son of David. He referred to the promise of the Old Testament Bible out of the seed of David would come forth that what uh, his soul was uh, waiting for. And... Uh, he called him by that name and the, and the disciples even and the multitudes they tried to hush him down that, that uh, he shouldn't make such a commotion about this but he, he continued and he cried out all the more that Jesus thou son of David have mercy on me 
He knew that now today, this is the, the day that the Lord is passing by. He didn't know what it would be tomorrow. And if he would let this opportunity pass by, it could be that it might be the last. And it very well could have been because Jesus did not pass by there anymore. He went into Jerusalem and he gave himself to be crucified. But it goes to show that the man who was naturally blind, it tells us this, that that our, our natural abilities, our talents, our carnal minds, our natural eyes, our natural ears, they cannot recognize Jesus, the Son of God, any more than could the people of that time. We might perhaps wonder sometimes that why did they treat him like they did and why didn't they receive him and why didn't they accept him uh, at that time? They did not recognize him. They did not see him. They just saw, saw Jesus the carpenter's son from Nazareth. But it is a revelation from heaven that we can recognize Jesus. And it only comes through the hearing and believing of the word. It does not come any other way. We can try to imagine to see him, and we can uh, even uh, hear, as it is in our time, so much about how people seem to be so close to the Lord, and they commune with the Lord, and uh, I don't want to make uh, to belittle anything like this if it is something that the Spirit of God is truly giving but it seems that somehow the word has very little, if any, significance. That it is just going to Jesus and that is it. And the word is entirely left aside as uh, of secondary importance, if of any importance at all. Now, Jesus was here in the flesh. And they saw two preachers. That's all they saw in this whole thing. There was John the Baptist and there was Jesus. And they were, it uh, looks like they were both trying to get some disciples. They were not in competition with one another. They were working together. And, uh, and John the Baptist uh, gave uh, so much honor to the Lord as we heard when he said that there cometh one after me whose shoe latches I am not worthy to unloose, he will baptize you with uh, uh, the Holy Ghost and with fire. And Jesus, he in turn, when uh, there was questions about John the Baptist, he said that there has when, uh, that if he was a prophet, he said that, yea, and much more than a prophet. There has not been a greater uh, born of woman uh, than John the Baptist. This is how Jesus spoke of John the Baptist. And uh, John the Baptist uh, pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. 
And they had wonderful services there at the River Jordan where Jesus asked John to baptize him so that they would fulfill all righteousness. And uh, a, a voice from heaven said that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit of God descended upon uh, Jesus in the form of a dove. And then after this, uh, it goes on to say that he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Jesus was going on his way, and it's uh, recorded here, and he must needs go through Samaria. This land of Samaria was considered... Uh, the Samaritans were considered to be the most vile people on earth in the eyes of the Jews. They were the, 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 the greatest sinners that there possibly could be. And they had it in their minds that it is, uh, uh, if you even step your foot upon the line of Samaria, you're going to get contaminated. They are so... They are so filthy, they are so uh, vile, they're such sinners. So, but it says here that he must needs go through Samaria. Jesus could have avoided going through Samaria. He could have taken a boat and gone along the water, along the shore, and bypassed Samaria. Or he could have gone along the uh, uh, mountain route and... Uh, circumvented uh, Samaria but Jesus was not uh, he wasn't uh, attached to these kind of things as the Jews were so attached he had come here uh, not to condemn the world which included Samaria also but to save the world and he went right into Samaria and uh, as we can see what took place there, he, well, he took the most direct route as he on his way to Galilee and he, he went through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. We certainly can believe that this was no coincidence or accident that he happened to come there came to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. There was a, a rich uh, history and tradition of what had taken place in God's plan. For God had uh, been with Jacob and Joseph and all things were set in order for the plan of God for the day when the fulfillment of the promise would take place. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, thus sat on the well. Oftentimes we, <coughs> we notice these things which have been recorded that even Jesus became weary. He was so completely true man that uh, he felt all these things that we feel. He needed to have his sleep, he needed to have his rest, he needed his 
nourishment and and uh, he had feelings uh, there is even recorded an instance where it says that Jesus wept so in, in every respect he was as one of us and he he is one uh, of whom it is written by the Hebrew epistle writer that we do not have such a, a high priest who cannot be touched with the infirmities of our feelings but he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin and then the writer continues therefore let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may have mercy and grace in time of need for this reason because we have a savior who who knows exactly what we are made of he knows that our frame is dust and that is why he came to be one of us that he could uh, succor to those uh, who are in need he understands us and uh, he came there and he was weary as any human being he had to become a human being he had to become man in order to fulfill the law that God had placed upon man which said that if thou wilt not do all these things thou shalt die although there was a promise that if thou wilt do all these things thou shalt live there was a promise in the giving of the law but you had to do them and they had to be done absolutely perfectly and there, and there was absolutely no room for even the slightest mistake and Jesus became that man who fulfilled this righteousness of God here upon this earth where we had completely become uh, unprofitable we became contaminated through the fall of our first parents Adam and Eve that we uh, absolutely cannot even begin to fulfill any uh, righteousness at all now he uh, was wearied on with his journey and thus sat on the well and it was about the sixth hour there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water Jesus said unto her give me to drink for his disciples were gone away unto the sea by meat in other words uh, uh, Jesus was there alone and this woman came to this well it was Jacob's well where Jesus sat and uh, the woman of Samaria and then says the woman of Samaria unto him how is it that thou being a Jew as drink of me which am a woman of Samaria she was uh, might say flabbergasted really amazed that this man whom she saw to be just another Jew she didn't have the slightest uh, slightest suspicion of uh, him uh, being anyone else just another Jew because in all appearance Jesus was completely as one of us and he 
uh, he was the Lion of Judah as it was prophesied therefore he uh, came uh, of the uh, tribe of Judah and uh, he he had the appearance undoubtedly of a Jew so this Samaritan woman recognized him as being just another Jew and began to uh, express her wonder and said that for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans uh, this uh, situation was such that it is an amazing thing to note uh, there's a, there, it oftentimes refers to these Samaritans where Jesus had dealings with these Samaritans and uh, the name Samaritan alone uh, by the Jews and the Pharisees was such a name that if they really wanted to to label someone uh, give them a, a real uh, insulting name about the worst name they could think of would be to call them a Samaritan and they did this to Jesus they told Jesus that do we not say well that thou hast a, that thou hast a, uh, art a Samaritan and thou hast a devil now, this is uh, what they thought of the Samaritans but yet on the other hand we find that when Jesus went into Samaria, Samaria on another occasion there were ten blind men or rather ten lepers who came and met him and they cried out to Jesus that Jesus have mercy on us and uh, Jesus uh, uh, cleansed them told them to go thy way and show thyself to the priest as the uh, ordinance of Moses was that uh, uh, whoever would be cleansed they would uh, have to go to the priest uh, and the, the priest would announce them cleansed so there were ten of these that were cleansed there at one time and uh, they went their way one of them returned one of them came back and knelt down and glorified God for what had happened and Jesus says that were there not ten cleansed uh, where are the nine there's just one that came back but interestingly it is recorded and this one who came back he was a Samaritan that uh, this I believe oftentimes is in the entire human race this type of a thing where, the, where there is uh, where there is this leaven of the Pharisees in our blood that somehow or another we look at human beings as someone being of a uh, deeper or a worse grade of human being or sinner as the Jews looked down upon there is this subtle type of thing that the, that the Jews had and it was not even uh, subtle in their case they were uh, committed all the way to this that we are God's people and oh, the, the, the verse of marriages are scum and that uh, uh, salvation in, in no wise belongs to them and uh, this was a shock to the Samaritan woman to find that this this Jew now would even speak to her so Jesus uh, 
answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who it is that said to thee, Give me to drink. Jesus knew very well that this is the natural reaction that this woman doesn't know who I am. That uh, just with the knowledge of the carnal mind, the human judgment, the ability to discern that a human being has, he cannot recognize Jesus in any way, just sees another man. So uh, Jesus said that if thou knowest the gift of God, now here is the gift of God that has been promised from the Garden of Eden, but men do not recognize. And it is in the gospel message, yet even this day the very same way, that it is not recognized by those who have no need for it. Those who are full, they have no need for it. But those who are in need, who have a hungering and a thirsting after righteousness, it is to them that the gospel is preached. When John the Baptist had been cast into prison, and uh, he began to wonder, after all these good services at the River Jordan, where heaven opened, and uh, uh, he, he could uh, hear the voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We find the next account of John that his services had very abruptly ended, his good services. He was in prison. He had been thrown into prison. And the next account of Jesus that we have is that Jesus had been led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. But now here in the prison, John the Baptist undoubtedly began to wonder that, well, what is this all about? That has to, there, there must have been some mistake, or I must have been somehow had some hallucination or something. Undoubtedly the devil came there with a pretty convincing sermon for him when he was sitting there in the in a prison that now if you were the son of God, God certainly wouldn't allow this type of a thing to happen. You're too important a man that you, you would be out there preaching. God wouldn't just waste your time here in prison. He could have had a very convincing sermon for him and so John sends his own, some of his own disciples to find out that was there a mistake here or what happened. And uh, he uh, asked, sends his disciples to ask, uh, ask Jesus that art thou he that should come or do we look for another? So they go to Jesus and they, they come up with this question and Jesus tells them, that, Go back and tell John what ye see and hear. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, the blind receive their sight, the deaf receive their, uh, their hearing. And uh, the gospel is preached to the poor. An interesting thing that this was the message that was to be brought back to John. Of all these things that take place, the most important was that the gospel is preached to the poor. The gospel is not preached to the rich. Certainly it can be the sound in the 
air vibrating, but the message will not reach the heart of the rich. It is not given for them. It is not given for them to hear it for, the, for their own soul salvation because they are not poor, therefore they do not need it. Neither is Jesus, was Jesus the Son of God revealed to anyone else but those who were in need. It is still the same thing. And uh, this gospel message which contains the very word of life which cannot be bypassed. It, if it is believed, the mystery of the kingdom of God is revealed to those who believe through the Holy Spirit. It isn't a wonder the prophet Isaiah, although he was, uh, he was so willing when he received mercy and grace in the sight of God and he saw the glory of God when he, after he was cleansed, when he uh, first confronted the righteousness and holiness of God, uh, in, the, in that temple and he cried out uh, saying uh, uh, saying 